Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. I spent in total about five years uh, from 1999 through to about 2004, studying either engineering, a couple of years of engineering, or uh, software design um, up in Aberdeen and then down in Dundee. And as part of both engineering and software design, you're encouraged in many ways to um, understand principles that uh, will work almost regardless of, of where you apply them. If you understand a set of principles, it means that you're able to address almost any problem knowing with confidence that as you work things out in line with what you know, the solution, even if you don't know what it will be when you start your project, the solution will ultimately be achieved unless uh, something unexpected happens along the way. And it's one of those things that again and again, when I was particularly studying computing, that that there is a set list of rules, as it were, for you to follow. There is a language for you to write programs in, and as long as you stick within the bounds of that language and process, sort of work through the process, you will, in the end, have a program. At least in theory, that will work. More often than not, there is, um, there is something that goes wrong, and it's almost inevitably your fault as you, um, as you work through a, a program or a, an engineering problem or whatever it might be. You just follow the rules. That's all you do. And there might be a more efficient way of doing it, a bit more creative perhaps, but at the end of the day, you will arrive at the right conclusion if you just work through uh, in accordance with these principles, these rules that you've learned. And as we sing certain songs on Sundays when we gather together, and as we read certain passages of Scripture, you will hear that sort of idea come through. And I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've been singing and it, perhaps a well-known hymn, and the language seems to suggest that if all you do is just trust and obey God, then everything will be fine. Then your life will just be sort of straightforward and, and fairly simple. And that kind of idea can come through in Scripture sometimes as well. Just live in this way and things will be fine. And we know from our own experience, don't we, that that isn't always entirely the case. That we can seek to be faithful. We can live out our lives in accordance with the way God would have us live in His Word. And yet we encounter almost overwhelming difficulty. There's a, a, a book written by um, somebody known at least to some of you, Alistair Brown, where he punctures some of the myths 
of the Christian faith. And he, it's a book called Near Christianity, and he talks about how uh, we get these certain ideas in our minds from the, the things that we hear from other people, or sometimes from the songs that we sing, or whatever it might be, and it, it's not entirely true. That if we just live in a certain way, all will be well. And he addresses that in, uh, in his book, in a chapter in his book, that's simply not the case. And we know that from Scripture, don't we, in the life of the Apostle Paul, who was a very faithful man, a great Christian man, and yet he's imprisoned, he's beaten, he's nearly stoned to death, he suffers incredible difficulty in his life, for all that he is incredibly faithful to God. And so we know, I think, from that and from our own experience, that God's Word isn't simply saying, obey the rules and everything will be fine. So what do you do with a passage like the one before us? this morning. Just obey your parents, children, for that is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and you may live long in the land. You'll have a, a great life. What do we do with that? How do we figure this out? Well, what Paul is, is getting at here for the Ephesians is trying to help them understand how to live their lives in a fallen world where everything isn't always going to be perfect. There will be difficulty. There will be hardships. Things will come at them out of nowhere that they didn't expect and will leave them struggling to know what on earth they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to cope, which is exactly our experience, isn't it? Because we are fearful that our lives won't go well, that we won't have enough, that we won't be fulfilled uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. We tend to live seeking to satisfy ourselves and placing ourselves first in our own world, because we don't know what the future holds. So we seek to, to do whatever is necessary for our own good, for our own benefit, first and foremost, and we worry about other things after, the, the lives we live outside with our family, our friends, our life with God. We, we leave that to second place. And the purpose of God's Word, and particularly in passages like this, the purpose ultimately of Christ coming is to help provide us with what is called in Scripture shalom, peace. Not just um, an easy time, not peace in that sense, that all is well with you, but a, a deep, perfect peace, a contentedness that can't be taken from us regardless of the difficulty of circumstances that we face personally or as a church or as a nation, whatever it may happen to be. And that is what Paul is getting at here. He wants to, to show us how we live in such a way that we will avail ourselves of that peace that God provides so that when we experience hardship and difficulty, we'll be able to cope as Christian men and women, not simply survive till we see tomorrow, but cope glorifying God and worshiping Him. And we find in Scripture that selfless obedience to the Lord is the route to that peace, to that sense of completeness and fulfillment in our lives here and now, but also in the life to come in heaven, where we lay aside everything that, is, that, that you know, we may hold dear, as it were, and just give ourselves completely over to the worship and the glorifying of God for all eternity. And Paul calls his hearers, his readers, to lay aside their fears and their desires and be conformed to God's pattern of life if they want to have that peace. And so we're called by Paul to live obedient lives in the midst of the fallen world in which we live. 
And the first thing Paul asks us, calls us to do, is we must conform to the Lord's pattern of life for our families. And these are words that, as I was talking to the kids earlier on, you can see a sort of smile on people's faces as they hear these, these words that we didn't enjoy hearing when we were perhaps children, but we definitely enjoy hearing now that we are perhaps older and have children or grandchildren of our own children. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And we'd be quite happy if Paul just stopped there and just left the book of Ephesians and that was it. Just obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But he doesn't. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. And then goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Perhaps if you have an older translation, it will read, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we'll go on to uh, work through what that means in just a few moments. But children must obey their parents. Now, doesn't say here what age those children have to be or how old the parents have to be, but I think it's fair to assume that Paul is talking about younger children um, here, but, but we could apply this, I think, across the board. But it's worth mentioning that Paul is talking here more or less exclusively to Christians. The whole book of Ephesians is not a book written as an evangelistic sort of tract to the wider world that if you want to have a good life, then you should live in this way, because Paul knows there's no point in calling people who don't know God to live lives loving God, because they can't. They have to first encounter God and, and be transformed by His love, by hearing the gospel, and then all of this comes. He's talking to Christian people. Obey your parents in the Lord, he says. And we read last time, if you can remember, cast your minds back to what we've already covered in Ephesians, that wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. He's assuming there's a relationship here where you live in a loving uh, relationship with God and therefore understand what your human relationships are supposed to be like, the pattern that they're supposed to follow. That's the starting point, the model, as it were. And this is a guide by Paul to help his readers understand how to live Christian lives, redeemed lives, which strive for the peace of God, the kind of life that's only possible for someone who's already trusted in Christ as their Savior, as their Lord. And as he teaches children why they should obey their parents, we can see this being worked out in his thinking. He says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he reasons going back to creation. God made the family unit. He designed it to function in a certain way so that it might result in the blessing of all the members of that family. Just about every society mirrors this as some way um, drawn out from the family unit. And you can see that. I've mentioned that uh, relatively recently in, in the Roman Empire is the great example. The Roman Empire keenly encouraged family life, and there were terrible punishments for children and parents who dishonored one another or who treated one another in, um, in a poor way because the relationship within the family teaches children how to obey and respect authority. And if you do that in the home, then children will understand how to obey authority in the world, most notably the emperor. And if you're not going to obey the emperor, then rebellion and revolt ensues and society disintegrates. 
Family is for the purpose of education, for teaching our children the essentials of their day-to-day life in the world, for safely helping them to know what things to do and what things to avoid to ensure that they're going to survive more than 10 minutes, but also to nurture them to grow and develop and ensure that they have what they need to be strong and healthy when they're older. And this is equally the case in a spiritual sense. We understand because our government is talking all the time about the need to promote healthy eating and a healthy lifestyle. We get stuff through from uh, the girls' school all the time, encouraging reading before bed with your children and, uh, and, and all these sorts of things to make sure that you're, you're instilling in your children something useful, something good for them. But it's true also in a spiritual sense for Christian parents to bring up their children in such a way that they will understand at the very least what the Christian faith actually is. When God created children, He put them inside a family unit for their protection, for their care, and for their edification, for their being built up and encouraged. And we would all recognize that when you take children out of a caring, loving environment like that, it only does them harm. My mom was a health visitor for a good number of years, and um, as part of her work, she had to make recommendations to social work uh, when she felt it was suitable for children to be removed from families because of uh, abuse or because of neglect, because of um, alcoholism or drug addiction, that children were just being left to their own devices, and, and that wasn't healthy. And we were talking about that once, and I'd said it must, you know, must be very difficult to make that recommendation, and she said, well, it is, but social work are very, very slow, by and large, to take children away from families. And, and that can be frustrating when a child is living in a dangerous environment and you desperately want them removed. She said social work tends to be quite slow, and there are all sorts of reasons for that that aren't great. But one of the key ones is they're reluctant to take children away from their families, and that's as it should be. We shouldn't be keen to tear children away from parents uh, unless it is a last resort, the very best that we can do for them, because it will result ultimately in damage happening to them in some way or in some form. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. The most loving and nurturing place for a child to be is with their parents, with their family. And so he says, honor your father and mother. He's calling his readers' minds back to the Ten Commandments, God's law for his people, which he's given for their good, for their flourishing. And it adds a little bit to this previous call, he said, to, um, to obey. He wants them to obey, but with honor. It's possible as a child to do what your parents say, but in a way that is very clearly not respectful. You're just doing it because it's easier than, than going the other way. And Paul says, that's not what we want. We want you to obey because you truly honor your mom and dad. The purpose of the commandment God gives to His people is that children respect their parents. What does honoring and obeying your parents look like? Well, this is bound up in the third reason that Paul gives. He says, obey your parents and honor them so it may go well with you and you may live long in the earth, live long in uh, the land. And this is that the wording of the commandment God gives Moses, and Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise. If you do this, then that will follow. If you honor your father and mother, you will be blessed. But how? How are you blessed? How does this work out? Well, the text says your day will be long and you will live long in the earth. And the meaning here isn't to be understood as if, you know, as if you behave well, you'll get lots of blessings from God in your life. And if you're not blessed by God, then you obviously aren't obeying. That's not what Paul's saying. 
When you look at our world today and you see the way that our culture, our society is going, you can't help but see decline everywhere, and a large part of that is grounded in the, the breakup, the dissolving of the family in the home. If you think about your life uh, as a teenager, however long ago that may have been, however recent that may happen to be to you right now, there is, if you have a loving environment at home, there is always going to be a time where you hear an instruction to do something and you don't do it because you can't be bothered, or it's Tuesday, or there are all sorts of reasons why you may not obey. But the general course of your life will be in broad alignment with the way your parents want you to go, because that's your world. And if your parents are loving and caring, they've created this world around you, and you're part of that, so you assume that that is normal. That's the way that things should be. And for all that there might be little blips, that is the, the general direction of your life. And ultimately, it leads to a stable home environment, a place where you understand something of what life is supposed to look like. So when you grow and mature into adulthood, you have perhaps a family of your own and a job or whatever it might be, you have some framework for understanding how to interact with other people in a reasonable way, how to, to deal with work colleagues or, or family members or whatever it might be, how to live in the world in a way that enables you to cope because you've seen it at home, at least in some part. And that's what Paul was talking about here, that you may have a world, as it were, that encourages you to integrate with other people, to live in such a way that not just your life is blessed, but the people around you are blessed, because you are a reasonable, kind, and loving individual, and you touch the lives of other people. And what he's talking about here is the quality of life you have, regardless of difficulties, of illness, of accidents, of, of you know, you lose your job, or whatever it may be, that there's blips of life that come along, but the general course of your life will follow in that direction, and ultimately will keep pointing you back to God, because the reason you love and honor your parents and obey them is because you want to love and honor and obey your God, who gave you those parents in the first place. But the responsibility isn't only on children. Fathers have a responsibility as well, and it's important to note here that fathers do seem to get singled out, to not provoke their children to anger. Now, Paul has talked about um, parents already in verse 1, so he could have just said, parents don't um, anger your, or provoke your children to anger if he wanted to in verse 4. He doesn't. He says, fathers, and I think there's a, a particular reason for that. And I think part of the reason for it is the same reason that he's already talked about the role of husband and wife together in the home, that wives are to um, submit to their husbands, not to slavishly obey their husbands, but to submit to them in the home because the husband is supposed to be um, the head of the house and will be called to account by God for the authority and the responsibility that he's been given. But the husband is to nurture and encourage the wife, enable her to grow up in her faith in the Lord in every way possible, in the same way that Christ gave himself for the church, Paul said, if you remember. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And in the same way, Paul is singling out dads here and is saying, you have a particular responsibility. Of course, mothers have an absolutely essential role in the lives of their children, but there is a call here for men not to absent themselves from their children's lives, which was a problem then as it is now. 
And if you've ever um, seen Jordan Peterson on TV, Jordan Peterson's a Canadian uh, psychologist who's written a number of things and speaks publicly quite often. He's come under a lot of um, heavy flack recently, and I certainly don't agree with everything that he says, but, but he would talk about the different roles that men and women have and what happens when the family unit breaks down, the damage that it causes to children and actually to parents um, as a result. And and his thinking very much follows along in this way, where he says we have fathers who must resist the urge to give themselves over completely to working 70, 80, 90 hours a week because their identity is bound up in what they do. This is a, a thing that is particular, it would seem, to the way that men's minds work, that their identity is bound up in what they do and what they achieve and what they build, and the most straightforward place to see that is in the work environment. So if I throw myself into my work and work 100 hours a week and become an executive at the age of 36 or have my own business by 20 or whatever it might be, then I'm a success. I've succeeded. But at the, the, the expense of your family at home. And if you read any of the lives of some of the big um, CEOs of, of some of the big world companies, they would say exactly the same thing. Elon Musk said, it's very important for me, the chairman of uh, Tesla, um, it's very important for me to spend time with my children. And he carves out this little segment of the week to spend with his children. But what you find is that what he actually means is he's sitting in a room while his children are present, but he's on his phone emailing and messaging people constantly. He's not giving his time to his children. He's just sort of present in the same space. That's not what Paul wants here. In Paul's world, women stay at home to look after their children. Men go out to work. And so he says, you've got to come home from your work and leave your work behind and invest in your children because they are your responsibility and you are the one who's tasked with spiritually bringing them up and encouraging them if they are going to continue in the way that you want them to go, to walk in the faith that you have. He doesn't mean here, just don't annoy them. As we sometimes read in this passage, don't provoke your children to anger. What he means is encourage them and nurture them, spend time with them, but, don't anger them, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's one of these things that I watched a, um, a Q&A session with Don Carson, Canadian um, pastor and, and theologian, amazing um, speaker, and he said, you know, his parents brought him up in the Christian faith, and he said, there is something about our faith that it is essential we are told. It is a faith that you hear and respond to. But he says, quite often when it comes to the home, it's more often caught than taught. That we model our faith for our children, because if all you do is tell your children that you have to live this way, live that way, but don't live that way yourself, you don't hold yourself to the same standard, kids can sniff that out really quickly. They have a great phoniness detector, he says, and, and can identify really quickly that you're just a hypocrite. He says, but if you live it out, if they see you spending time with the Lord and prayer and reading His Word, if they see and understand why you live the way that you do, then they will appreciate your faith at a whole other level, and it communicates the gospel far more clearly. And I would also say that for our evangelism as a church, this is essential. As we share our faith with people outside, it must be embodied as much as shared verbally with people, because what people may not understand through our speech, they will see and recognize in our actions. But anyway, 
That's not what we're talking about this morning, but, but I would encourage you to that end. Paul doesn't want fathers nagging their kids all the time, badgering them to behave well. He wants fathers to model behavior, godly behavior, so that children will follow in that way. And it's an incredible challenge for us. And were it not for the Spirit of God empowering us to do that, then we would perhaps be within our rights to give up all hope. But thanks be to God, we have both His Word and His Spirit to empower us. So be encouraged, dads and granddads, because you have an equal role in living out your faith before your children and grandchildren as well. We must conform to the Lord's pattern for family, because in this way, our whole family is built up, and it flows through into the church where our families come together to worship. But we must also conform to the Lord's pattern for work, And Paul addresses this section to slaves and masters. Now, legally speaking, we don't have slaves and masters in our day-to-day. I think we actually do still have slaves and masters, but, but not in a legal setting. But I think it can be helpful here to understand Christians in the place of um, work. Whether you're an employee or an employer, whether you're a manager or whether you're just Uh, one of the folks at the very bottom of the the ladder, as it were, at the beginning of your working career, workers must obey their bosses. And again, this is striking in a way that we might not appreciate today, because in Paul's world where slavery exists, slaves have no rights on any level whatsoever. You will do whatever you are told, and you won't be rewarded for doing what you're told. That's not how the relationship works. You exist. I feed you and give you a roof over your head so you will do whatever I tell you, and you won't complain, and you won't disobey, and if you do, at best you can be put out or or disciplined, and at, at the most extreme, you can be killed with no consequences falling on the master whatsoever because you're property. And Paul says in the midst of that where we might think he would say, that you should just, you know, leave your master. You're free in Christ. Go and live a free life. He doesn't. He says, slaves, obey your masters. Why? Don't pay eye service, he says, although um, the the language is really lip service in, in our understanding. Don't just talk the talk. Don't just do the bare minimum that you're expected to do and then nothing else just to keep your boss off your back. You labor hard because when you work hard, even when you're working under unpleasant people or unfair conditions, you're doing a service for your Lord and your Savior, not just for your boss. You're bearing testimony to Him and His life where all the other slaves around you might work grudgingly because they have to, but you enter into your work with enthusiasm because you're doing it for the glory of God. And Paul says this will communicate far more to your master than anything else. Your work is not fulfilling because it's good or pleasant or enjoyable. Your work is fulfilling because you are already fulfilled in Christ. You're not relying upon what you do day to day to to give you your identity and, and, and your satisfaction. You already receive that from Jesus. So give yourself over to your work, knowing that your fulfillment in Christ can't ever be taken away, regardless of how unpleasant or difficult a task you might have to do today. And Paul continues, do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. 
It was once said of Henry of Bavaria that at that time he was becoming weary of court life. He, he, he didn't want to, um, to be a king. He didn't want to be a ruler, and so he decided he was going to enter a monastery and become a monk, and he presented himself to the prior, and he was prepared to receive um, his religious instruction to, um, to live that life. He just wanted to escape the responsibility of court life, and he listened enthusiastically to everything that he needed to do to go and be a monk, and the prior then insisted that obedience was, uh, was lived out completely to whatever he was called to do, and, and uh, Henry said that he would do so in every detail. And the prior then said to him, go back to your throne and do your duty in the station that God has assigned you. You're just running away from your responsibilities. You're not entering into the place God has put you. Just do your duty as to the Lord's and find your satisfaction in Him. And we're told, historically anyway, that the king took up his responsibilities, and when he died, as people said of him, that he'd learned to govern by learning to obey. That is what Paul is talking about. There's all sorts of things that we might struggle with at work, that we're called to, um, to work hard, and it might not be all that pleasant every day, and yet we're called to do our work for the glory of God, however we can find to do that. And here's the amazing thing, as well as the responsibility on each one of us. We're given enormous latitude in that. We are given the opportunity to be creative in how we honor the Lord, as long as we're not you know, just chancing it that, you know, sleeping until 10 every morning because I'm self-employed is honoring the Lord because when I get up, I'm ready for work. No, no. We work hard. We enter into our work, but we do so knowing that it glorifies God, and that is where our satisfaction is found. But we find it's not just about um, slaves working hard for their masters. It's also masters making sure that their slaves aren't being run into the ground. And this passage, although it's at the end of this passage is, is really short, we might expect Paul to say a bit more to masters because they're in a position of power or authority. He doesn't call for the abolition of slavery or anything else, but he states that you are no better than your slaves, which is a scandalous statement to make in Paul's day. It's a nonsensical statement. I am better than my slaves, because if that wasn't the case, I would be the slave and they would be the master. They would be the boss, I would be the employee. Paul says, you have to see yourself the way God sees you. The way God sees you is that it was no harder for Him to save you as a master or no easier to save you as a master than it was to save your slave. They are worth no less in God's sight than you are because all of you are made in God's image, and all of you, casting your minds back to the Ten Commandments that He's already mentioned in the previous section, all of you are called to obey. It doesn't matter whether you're a king or a commoner, a slave owner or a slave, you are all called to obey because you all stand on a level playing field before God when it comes to your sinfulness and your need for salvation. Therefore, because you're no better than they are, then bless them. Bless them. Encourage them. Don't threaten them. Give them a pleasant place to work. Make their lives a pleasant experience. Encourage them in whatever way they need to carry out the job. Don't make their life deliberately difficult just because they're slaves and they don't count anything uh, in your estimation. That's not how it works. Bless them. 
And the same is true for you if you have those under you, if you manage other people or if you run the company or whatever it may happen to be, then don't make life difficult for your employees, Paul is saying. The pattern for work is to recognize that you stand on equal footing as they do before the Lord. You're no better or worse than they are. And so as you're all struggling through this life, trying to to cope with all of the ups and downs of life, then help them to that end. Bless them and build them up. Because in that way, what you're doing is you're mirroring the life of Christ. What did Christ do for His disciples? He blesses them. He challenges them. He pulls them up when they need to be pulled up and rebukes them when they need to be rebuked. But He's God. He has every right to see Himself as so much better than these idiots who just get everything wrong all the time, everywhere they go. And yet, what does He do for them? He dies. He gives up the glory of heaven and dies for their sake. And so Paul says, if you want to follow in Christ's way, then this is the life you need to live. You conform yourself to the pattern of the Lord at home and in work. And here's really where the rubber hits the road for us. When difficulty comes your way, when the difficult phone call from the doctor comes, or when you find out from your boss that you've lost your job or you're not getting the pay rise, or difficult family situations unfold. This is not Paul saying, if you just obey, then everything will be a bed of roses. But he's saying, if you obey and live your life in this way, you are encouraged to know that you are actually a follower of Christ, that your eternal security is guaranteed by what Christ has already done on your behalf, and that can't ever be taken away. Christ is constantly praying, interceding for you, that you would have everything you need to follow in God's way. You've got all you need. So keep casting yourself back on Christ with confidence, knowing that when you pray, He hears. When you ask for help, He's there. Because if you haven't been conforming your life to this pattern and the hardship comes, you suddenly realize how distant you feel from God and you've got no idea if He's even there. It's one of the things that I keep trying to encourage myself to do, that when the going is good, build up your life with Christ because there'll be a day coming when the going is bad and you need Him. You need Him to be there to help you, to encourage you. And if you've not been building up your life in Him, then that simply won't be there. The purpose of Paul's writing isn't to provide rigid rules that have to be followed or else. The purpose is to illustrate that true peace, shalom that comes from God, is with us when we live in accordance with His ways. Whether we're talking about marriage, family, work, whatever it might be, it can all be brought into line with our faith so that our whole life is God-saturated, so that we're able to cope when the going is good and also when the going is bad. And in the end, as we find in the parables of Jesus, when the Lord calls us home to enter into the joy and the service of our Master. So let's pray that this would indeed embody our life and faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and the challenge that it is to us. But Lord God, help us to see not just rules to obey here as if somehow we might earn your favor if we are obedient enough. Lord, that's not what you're saying to us. 
Lord, help us to understand that if we are in Christ, there is now no condemnation for us. We have nothing to fear. We are safe and secure in His hands if we have called out and asked for salvation in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, You are calling us to live in a manner that lines up with that faith, that we might be enabled to live consistent Christian lives regardless of the circumstances we face. Lord God, I want to thank You for these folks in our fellowship who are going through difficult times but are constantly relying upon the Lord. The going is not easy for them today. And yet, Lord, they persevere because Christ is their Savior, and they are walking, they are used to a life walking in accordance with Him. Lord, I pray that You would bless each one of the rest of us. Lord, encourage us to that end, that we might live in obedience now, so that when difficulty comes, we will carry right on regardless of what we face. Lord, build up our church in this way so that we might encourage one another and be a witness to the world around us of the hope that is in us. And Lord, we ask it all in our Savior's precious name. Amen.